0: Downloads of this show are available on Podomatic.com and the Podomatic mobile app.
1: You are listening to Troubadours and Tours with E.W. Conundrum Demure on Radio Free Brooklyn. Welcome to episode 276 of Troubadours and Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's episode, we have a conversation with Michael Flynn, founder, artistic director, and executive producer of the Scranton Shakespeare Festival, as well as one of the premier assistant directors on Broadway today. We talked to Mr. Flynn about his journey into theater, about the Scranton Shakespeare Festival, about politics in art, and many other very interesting areas of discourse. A great conversation today with Michael Flynn. We also have an EW essay titled Righteous and Bold and another great piece by our associate producer Dr. Michael Pavese aka Uncle Cesare called Gypsy as well as a poem titled She and all of this of course as is always the case will be infused and complemented with the music of several wonderful artists. Let's get to it. Episode 276 of Troubadours and Raconteurs.
2: Blood in the streets in the town of New Haven Blood stains the roots and the palm trees of Venice Blood in my love in the terrible summer Bloody red sun of fantastic LA
1: Righteous and bold, the dancing bluebells that somehow mystically have intertwined with a wild maple tree enamors me profoundly. And small portly birds with dark black symmetrical wide-angled lines atop beige-brown thin-feathered cheeks perfectly showing the center with a tiny aquiline beak speaks pure natural joy through its peeps and tweets. And I walk across my backyard deck, down the steps, into it all, as these moments help me to recall more innocent times I had as a younger person. And I think and ruminate about these destructive, fearful policies my government has crafted that take children out of the arms of their parents, off the breast as they suckle for nourishment and security, as natural and beautiful and legitimate as all else in this tangible world of humanity. And I wonder, I grapple with questions of why are we doing this? Why is our society allowing this, supporting this? Is it not true that we live in the land of the free and of the brave? Yet, look at how we behave, not free, but instead closed, not brave, but instead afraid and cold. I am privileged and thus will not be told that my stead as a citizen human should support such divisive means of existence. I am feeling righteous and bold.
2: Vegetable man in the vegetable van with the horn that's honking like a mariachi band in the middle of the street. People gather around, put a dollar, another dollar, dollar in the can. I wait, on the T.J. Cowboys hang around, sleeping in the sidewalk with a Burger King crown. Never wake them up. Ma servicio to the rooster crows, vatos vergaños. Blancos roll with cobars, 10 grand chivas on cheap guitars, Aboletas with plastic bags, Walking to the
1: church with the Spanish candles, and the says, que putas, and the your popsicles melting, Run, the run, the run the run, In the, bin. In the bin of
2: Replace, what am I talk about? It's the replace. And go yeah. ladies, vended at a bus stop, sing a band of macho chorus. <laughs> what? <laughs> Push Get the pasta! Get the the pasta! Get the Hey, güero!
0: Hey, bro. Yeah, bro.
2: Cork, they have the new Yanni Cassette.
3: <laughs> Hello?
1: Hello, Michael Flynn, is that you?
3: It is indeed me. How are you doing tonight?
1: Oh, good. Thank you so much for being on Troubadours and Rock on Tours.
3: I'm flattered and really excited. Thanks for having me.
1: Oh, a pleasure. And uh, let, I want to let some of the folks know who don't know already who you are. I, uh, I uh, have a little bit of a bio, but we're going to build on that in our conversation. Uh, founder, art- artistic director, and executive producer of the Scranton Shakespeare Festival, as well as one of the premier assistant directors working on Broadway today, working with some major, major powerhouses on Broadway. And uh, That's true, yeah. Yeah, it's impressive, and you're a young man on top of it. Just getting started.
3: Yes, yes, I've been I've been very fortunate. I'm I'm really grateful that I've got to uh work with some of the really cool professionals that I've been able to.
1: Oh, yeah, we're going to get into that Douglas Carter Bean and Jack O'Brien. My gosh. Nathan Lane. Yeah. But tell us mm-hmm. a little bit. How, first, how did you get it, how did you end up in theater? You know, it's like a pretty crazy story because uh
3: I remember in preschool, I was was going to uh, John Marshall Elementary School and it was one of the first days and I can still recall there was like a big bin of like these big play school blocks and I walked over to them and I was telling all the students like, let's build a state, let's build a state. So I, I guess like innately, I was always really interested in storytelling and I don't know where that came from. I mean... I had an older sister, older sisters were in dance recitals. And, you know, my parents, you know, would occasionally listen to like the cassette of like Jesus Christ Superstar on like a long road trip. Um, And I would say that I had like a fair amount of access to like the arts. But I it it honestly, I think was something like pretty uh, innate and something that I always just took like a liking to at a young age. But it's one of those sort of inexplicable things. And I don't I don't really remember exactly when it started, but I just knew that I've always had an appetite for it.
1: And, you know, did uh, some of the significant elders in your life try to dissuade you knowing that it's not easy making a living in theater?
3: You know, I... I've been fortunate. I mean, of course, I can recall like being at a high school graduation and, you know, people asking you, what are you going into? And then you let them know that you're pursuing a career in theater and you could see the look of panic, you know, and uh, flush come across their face. But fortunately, I have to say that my family's been super supportive and that's been great. And I've also had a really great network of uh, teachers from this area uh, that have been super supportive. Uh, of me pursuing a career in it, um, so I've been pretty fortunate on that uh, on that front. My father basically always said, you know, I think the way he looks at it is if you enjoy what you're doing, you know, that's something that I think he really wants for all of his kids. Uh, so they've always, both he and my mother, have been always really supportive of you know any sort of endeavors I've been a part of, which I'm super grateful for. Oh yeah, and you're there's fortunate. sort of this like we... It, Totally. And there's also this, like, sort of weird, uh, I think, like, phony idea that, like, a career... uh, And, of course, like, a career in the arts is very hard, but, you know, there's a lot of jobs you can get with a theater degree. And I feel like, you know, sometimes people would much rather you have an English literature degree or a philosophy degree. But, you know, there are a lot of jobs such as, like, you know, doing, like, lighting shows for car companies and, like, very, very different professions sort of stem out of a something that you can learn from a a theater, an understanding of theater and like a collegiate level. So I think that like, uh, there's a little bit more employment there than, than you might lead. and, And a lot of skills that you could learn there that lead you to have like a number of successful, um, professions later on down the road. But fortunately for me, uh, I've, I've never, I didn't get too much resistance from
1: my, from my family. Well, yeah, when all else fails, you can always just, you know, become a lawyer, right? That's theater. Oh, yeah, right, right? That is theater, right? (laughs) No doubt. Uh, So you, you, you say this area, and you and I are from the same area, from northeastern Pennsylvania, Scranton more specifically, uh, we have listeners all mm-hmm. over the place, so you know uh, we got to put that into context for for folks that aren't from this area and and you you started here, you went to um, high school here, you went to college here and then and then you you made a contact uh, uh, that was pretty significant who had uh, i guess a summer home here uh, while you were trying to make your way in New york city, and that contact really uh, helped you. Uh, open doors, right? And that contact being... If that's that's true. That's Douglas Carter Bean. Tell folks a little bit about that.
3: Uh, sure. So it would have been the second year of the Scranton Shakespeare Festival, and uh, Douglas Carter Bean was, does uh, live somewhat close to the Scranton area for, you know, has a summer home out here. And he was, I think, just sort of investigating the Scranton theater scene, and he had come to a production that we had mounted um, our second year of the comedy of errors by Shakespeare up in Nayog Park. And I I think he had a very pleasant experience. And after that, he had invited me to assist him. uh, He was the playwright for a new play that was going to be at Lincoln center on Broadway. And it was called the Nance and he wrote it and it was going to be starring Nathan Lane and Lewis Stadlin Katie Huffman and some other really great, uh, Broadway actors. And that was sort of like the door in. I worked on that experience. It was, it was really fantastic. You know, just being able to go to Lincoln center every day to work was pretty exciting. But also then once we transferred to, um, the Lyceum, which is, I think the oldest theater, uh, on the Broadway circuit currently, uh, that was really exciting, but it was in that room, you know, watching those people act but that i also was able to meet uh jack o'brien and i think that was sort of the moment because at that time i was assisting him as a writer which basically meant when there were rewrites or when people needed new pages or when you know the playwright was doing something else and the director needed something i was sort of uh serving as a liaison but uh it was in that room when I was first introduced to Jack O'Brien, and that's when I was like, "Wow, I want to be a director just because of his amazing ability to uh, hold a room." It was pretty captivating. It was really, it was really uh, a sight to behold. So, yeah, Doug uh, was able to provide me with that opportunity, and he also has been really wonderful because he has premiered um, two of his uh, two new works with our company, the Scranton Shakespeare Festival the first being Fairy Cakes, which is sort of like um, a fractured fairy tale story. It's all done in um, rhyming couplets. Uh, and it's like all the different fairies from the Shakespeare play *Midsummer Night's Dream, but what he does with it is he actually has those fairies taking the roles of some of these fairies in classic fairy tales. So one of them is Pinocchio's fairy, one of them is... Tinkerbell, even though, you know, I don't think he says Tinkerbell, but, the, you know, all of these, like, classic uh, fairy tales. And because of those, uh, you know, they're sort of like hijinks and into So it, it was a really interesting uh, piece. And then the second show he did with us was called Robin Hood, and it was a musical, and um, Lewis Flynn. Uh, was a part of that as well and and uh, Joey Peasy, who's a choreographer at, uh, on all of like the big movie musicals, came out and choreographed that here and that was a really stunning, exciting like full scale Broadway show and we had an amazing Broadway costume designer, Gregory Gale come out and design it. It was really uh, a spectacular production, and we had that right here for free to our community, which was pretty exciting
1: oh, it is uh, you know i I understand that uh, you've gotten some support financially from the National Endowment for the Arts uh, in the past. I don't know if that's... Yes.
3: We've been fortunate to get it for the second year in a row. So I believe you can only get it three years in a row, this specific grant. Um, But we're really grateful for it because, you know, being free of the public, we really rely on these uh, grants as well as like individual donations so that we can pay You know, our actors are very meager, uh, living stipend, but also not put actors in front of a bare stage, you know, so that we can have costumes and props. So we've been really fortunate to get the sponsorship of the National Endowment of the Arts.
1: And this is your sixth or seventh year.
3: This is our seventh. We're uh, about to embark on our seventh summer of programming.
1: Right, and and why why uh, why Shakespeare? Why why Shakespeare? The context in which you have this festival, because of name recognition, or do you do you find his works like so many people do, just uh, so uh, compelling and, and timeless?
3: They are very. Uh, it's it's a little bit of all of the above. Uh, it started off. I was doing a Shakespearean production of Hamlet in Binghamton. Uh, and we we were doing it mostly for schools, but we received quite a lot of snow. So it was sort of like a lot of time reflecting during a snowstorm for production that we weren't even able to perform as much as we would have liked. And it was at that time that I really had this, um, I don't know, this strong feeling to do a production of a Midsummer Night's Dream in Nayog Park. I just really wanted to make that happen. And this director who I was working with had worked at the Royal Shakespeare Company. Her name is Rosemary Hay. And she uh, had done a production with her theater company called Rev Theater Company. And she had said, you know, we've already done this. We'd love to do it. And, you know, we were able to round up some local actors as well as some actors from Philadelphia, a few actors from New York. And we mounted this production in about three weeks. And we were hoping for like 100 people to show up. And to our surprise, there was somewhere between like 800 and 1,000 people there for those two performances
1: Wow, and that's the first year. Even though we had a
3: very, that's the first year, and you know, even though it was a very small budget, we were able to make enough money that we were able to become a five hundred one c three organization, which was a pretty big step for us. And um, then the year after that, we did another Shakespearean comedy, and we added a few extra performances. And we had downpour rain, and people who stayed. You know, there were people in wheelchairs popping up their umbrellas who were waiting for us to continue. So we did, which was a pretty gratifying experience to know that you have people willing to sit in the rain to hear the rest of the story. Um, so it, it was also a matter of logistics and budgeting. I mean, Shakespeare is public domain, uh, which I know sounds a, a little slight, but it is true. But I mean, I do think there is a reason that his work is so popular, because it is incredibly deep. And that they're, they're also, you, you can do so much with it Oh, you know, we're doing The Tempest this year, and I can guarantee you that it's unlike any production of The Tempest anyone has ever seen, which is what I'm really excited about. Um, but then we're also doing an As You Like It that perhaps might be a little bit more traditional. Um, so there's so much fluctuation, and all of the stories are very different, but I think there's just a psychology and an understanding of like the human condition that Shakespeare is able to tap into, and also just... The, and I'm—I've never been one for poetry, like, you know, I'm. But the—the the way he uses language is just so exciting and beautiful if done right. And I—I I do really pride our organization because, you know, I know that some people have a stigma of Shakespeare and, you know, have traumatic flashbacks from high school English class, <laughs> you know, having to like memorize Julius Caesar or like try to make sense of all of this, but. When you see it done right, it it could be so exciting, and um, I'll never forget I was able to catch a production of um, The Merchant of Venice with Al Pacino, and mm. it blew me away. Yeah. and I was like, wow! I didn't realize it could be this palpable and exciting, and that I could lean forward in my chair so much and and appreciate this. Um, so I, you know, there, and it's also interesting because Shakespeare, when he wrote, he wrote for people of all different socioeconomic uh placement you know so there's there's something very accessible about it i think when it's done right as well you know because you've got this beautiful romantic language but you've also got very very dark sinister characters you've got these amazing young romantic lovers but then you've got this these like dirty joke characters that you're, you know, sometimes you have to listen, and you're like, are they saying what I think they're saying? And it's like, yes, they're saying what you think they're saying. <laughs> uh, so I think there's just so much uh, universality to it that uh, makes it really rewarding. And every year that we do it, I I, I kind of fall in love with the work more and more. And um, again, going back to my mentor, Jack O'Brien, I mean, he's sort of known as one of the prominent American directors of Shakespeare. And he's won multiple Tony Awards for his work on Broadway directing Shakespeare, amongst other things. And uh, I think knowing how he is able to approach any production, for instance, he's working on the sound of, he just uh, mounted a production of The Sound of Music, which I've been fortunate enough to have been serving on as an assistant director. And, you know, the way he approached that text he approached it the way I believe he would approach a Shakespearean text with that much discipline and that much attention to the characters and what they're saying and what's happening. And it wasn't just let's get through these book scenes so we can get to the musical numbers. And so I think there's a real, uh, there's a real uh, attention and understanding to um, really nailing content when it comes to working with Shakespearean text. And I also think what's really exciting is that he wrote for communion, you know, so that the actors could see that the the audience and there was such a communion between player and uh, audience member. So there's something sort of beautiful about that as well, that it isn't just this idea of the audience is in total darkness and, you know, these people are just speaking it's like no these people are looking us in the eye and talking to us about should you know to be or not to be You know, that's there's just something really beautiful and accessible about that
1: well and th- that leads me to wonder what what are you trying to impart what are you trying to accomplish by uh, your with your project the Scranton Shakespeare Festival in terms of community in terms of uh, expressing this this art
2: Hmm,
3: uh, I, I guess a uh, a communion of community uh, and a, a nurturing ground for, for new talent as well as more experienced talent. As much as we will always have a foundation in Shakespearean text, I do think it's important that we're generating new works because, you know, not only was Shakespeare a writer, but he was an actor, he was a director, and he was a producer. So um, a very good friend of mine who is also a member of our company was able to work with Trevor Nunn who's one of the biggest Shakespearean directors as well and she always quotes him as saying uh, Trevor would say make it work and I think that there's something very interesting about that so I would like to believe that if you know he was around running a company he would want new voices to be heard as well so I think there's something important about us um, having new voices as well as a foundation in classical text but I also think it's important that You know, our programming is diverse enough that there's sort of something in it for everyone, you know. So the person who doesn't like musicals might really like this production or the person who does like musicals, but might be a little bit hesitant or leery of uh, a play, you know, can kind of come and say, I had a really nice time. I'm going to come back next week and see what these crazy people are doing on the next show.
1: And, and you um, you don't just so have sort of what we're going for. You don't just thank you for that. You don't just have Shakespeare as you're alluding to at the Scranton Shakespeare Festival. I know you have a musical called Footloose, for example. Yes. And mm-hmm. that some people might ask, well, what does that have to do with Shakespeare, and and how does that fit in? How how would you respond to that?
3: Mm, mm. Well, I can tell you we're approaching it like it's Shakespeare, which I know, you know, you're looking at it and you're thinking, oh, like the Kevin Bacon movie and the, you know, the like 80s song. But to me, it's about uh, and this whole season really is about, you know, younger generation finding their voice, Um, whether it's the young executive coming into a big corporate business and rising from a window washer to the CEO of a company oh
2: yeah. or what
1: you what know, production is that
3: that's how to succeed in business without really trying but then you've got the tempest which is you know the young daughter whose father is basically runs the island and then you know she's able to instill uh, some new beliefs in him and stir up uh, compassion which is one of the most like moving phenomenas but you know and then in Footloose it's a little more obvious you've got a person who is you know, fighting for what they believe is right, liberty. And it's also just an examination of what dance is, you know, as well as what religion is. And I think it's a story about grief. It's a story about a family who has been haunted by the loss of their dead son, and it's led to them, you know, repressing so much, uh, as well as about um, a young person who can only sort of... Uh, express themselves and their spirituality through movement, you know, and like what is that transcendence, and what is dance at the core of it? So there's like a lot of deeper themes that we're really trying to like bite into there, and you know, we, I think there's a lot of that going on in this country, I think we've got a younger generation that's very much trying to find their voice right now, Um, especially you know, since uh, the Parkland um, shootings, I think that's like something that's becoming very relevant, and I think that this play deals with that uh, very much, um, but I think sort of all of the plays of our season deal with that. So I, I understand where people might say, like, how is this Shakespearean? But I also think that uh, I always find that musicals and Shakespeare are very similar, because when you have a character singing a song, most likely they're singing the song to the audience, and they're singing the song because the dialogue, the, the plain text in the play is escalated to an emotional level that they turn right out and they start singing to you. So, you know, you have somebody singing I Can't Stand Still or I've got to kick off my... You know, you, you've you got this connection between person and audience the same way that you have Hamlet turning out to the audience and again, going back to To Be or Not To Be. Do I do this or don't I do this? Um, so I think there's a real sort of interesting parallel between musicals and Shakespeare. So, I think it fits. You uh, know, and, and the truth is is that no ma- I could be doing every Shakespeare and someone's going to have something to say about it. Uh and I, and I get that and it's in our name and it's a very much part of our mission and um but you know, I I, th- I think it works. I guess the skeptics will have to come and check it
2: out.
1: You are listening to Troubadours and on Tours with EW Conundrum Demure on Radio Free Brooklyn. I, I agree with you you sold me on it uh, I've been and uh, it does work it does work ladies and gentlemen we're talking to Michael Flynn the founder artistic director and executive producer of the Scranton Shakespeare Festival as well as one of the premier assistant directors working on Broadway today it's uh, it's a it's a great uh, honor to have you on this show and um, I wanna I want to now you kind of already sort of put your big toe into this uh, pool Uh, I want to know what you think about political activism in art especially given you know recently we we had the Tony Awards and we had uh, a lot of stuff going on that was Mm. political
3: we did indeed Uh, I think arts always been political and I think um, that's so I, I sort of have to wear two hats here as an artistic director of a theater company in a community that has people of all different political views, I don't want anyone to feel isolated from a theater. So, especially a show like Footloose, which deals very much with sort of conservative ideas and then more liberal ideas, uh, I don't want to be condescending to either side or either perspective in that story and in that conflict. Um, and as an artistic director, I want to make sure that you know people in their red hats feel comfortable going to see a show just like people who are wearing a rainbow flag you know i want everyone to feel welcome at a theater i think that's very important and i think that you know theater i don't believe theater should be elitist i don't think it should only be for one side and not the other i think the beauty about what we as theater makers do is it's a group of people going into a room together and laughing at the same moment or crying at the same moment and I think that there's something really great about that and it's one of the few forms that can transcend uh, some of these things but you know of course people are going to have political opinions that's the point of you know that's a that's a very big part of theater and some things are going to be more satirical and more politically charged than other other pieces will be but uh, you know I think that everything is you know politics is the study of people and Drama is the dramatics of people. So, I mean, I think I think they go hand in hand. And I think that, you know, everyone has a voice and everyone should be able to use it. And if you don't want to listen to somebody, you know, I I challenge you to listen to somebody. But, you know, you, you can form your own opinions. And I I get so frustrated when sometimes people think like, you know, I don't want to hear this actor or this singer say this or say that. It's like this person has devoted their life and worked very hard to get where they are. You know, and sometimes I, don't sometimes I don't agree with different celebrities' opinions on things, and I roll my eyes when I hear them say something, but, you know, that's, that's, their, that's their platform. And we can't be upset because uh, they've got something to say about it. And, you know, if it starts getting incessant and you don't want to hear it, turn off your television. But, you know, I think, uh, I think that especially this year, I don't think Robert De Niro is somebody who's been using every speech to, uh, make political comments, you know, nor Meryl Streep, you know, these people have won quite a few awards and usually things don't get quite this heightened politically. I mean, since, you know, I mean, I'm sure there are a few Jane Fonda, Marlon Brando, but for the most part, like it comes in waves, but I think when you, you know, and here I'm going to say this, but when you have a, an administration that is actively trying to cut the arts, and do away with the National Endowment of the Arts, do you think these people are not going to have anything to say? I mean, that's sort of where I come from. At it, You know, it's hard to... I try very hard to be neutralist because I'm very political as an individual, but as an artistic director, I try very hard to be neutral. But when you go after, you know, the National Endowment of the Arts, that then becomes, you know, you're you're taking people's livelihood away, and, and for what? So I've got quite a few comments on that, but I guess that's sort of my... Uh, my opinion my little opinion
1: on that well and i think you would agree too that uh in society in your country you, you believe a burgeoning uh artistic set of options and energy is healthy for your, right your, right th- the the country for society for people and if you try right. to Political cut that out part. it's it's damaging it's damaging to our mm-hmm. to our existence
3: Yes, I would agree, I, and I, I think that there's I think that there's a lot of blame that can be spread pretty wide with all of this. I think techno I think technological advancement and social media is a big part of it. You know, uh, we, we're not really engaging with each other as much as perhaps we used to, um, and I also think that there's a lot of uh, uh, economic inequality that's fueled some of this tension. Um, but, you know, it is where it, it is, unfortunately, what it is. And I hope that, uh, you know, I hope that some of this division can sort of be uh, eradicated slightly. But, yeah, it's you know, it's an exchange. It's a discourse of ideas. It's an exchange of ideas. And, you know, theater's always been doing that since the Greeks.
1: Excellent point. <laughs> That's for sure. That's where Me. I learned a lot of the early... Uh, uh, questions, eternal questions, and the, the the multitude of answers to those questions it was from you know Greek plays when I was a kid. Uh, still reflecting right. on those, yeah. Uh, so, tell the folks who are listening if you would where they can find some information about the uh, upcoming season at the Scranton Shakespeare Festival and uh, anything yeah, else. Sure. Anything else you'd like to share with your wor- regarding sure. your work in New York City?
3: Uh yeah, yeah. Uh you can check out our website at www.scrantonshakes.com, dot com, all one word. Uh we're also on Facebook and Instagram under Sh- uh Scranton Shakes at Insta- on Instagram and the Scranton Shakespeare Festival on Facebook. And uh we are on Twitter and Snapchat as well. Um and you can find all the information about show times, locations, venues, mission statement some photos and some fun quotes. Um, and yeah, New York New York has been great. I, I have to say that, you know, the first year or two, I, I I had this feeling that I had to get back to New York when I was working here for the summers, thinking like, you know, I'm, I'm leaving the city too long and if for my career I need to go there. But it sort of uh, had a little bit of a Wizard of Oz effect in that, you know, every time I do, I am, you know, uh, fortunate enough to work with, People like um, Nathan Lane or Jack O'Brien, like Douglas Carter Bean, everybody's always asking me, what's happening in Scranton? What are you doing in Scranton? <laughs> so it's funny that it's sort of become my little, uh, you know, a place for me to learn as a director as well. And I'm really grateful for that. Uh, and, yep, uh, we're doing another year, the Sound of Music National Tour, which I'm pretty excited. We just wrapped uh, this first year of of this specific tour. And it's going to go out again next year throughout uh, North America, which is pretty exciting. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's sort of it right now. Well, and it's all about, you know, the next, the next step. It is, it is. And I'm very, uh, I'm very excited to be returning on that project.
1: Well, Michael Flynn, break a leg again and again and again. It is uh, very inspiring and uh, very happy to, to uh, know that you, are doing so well in New York, and then you're bringing a lot of that energy here to our neck of the woods, our hometown. Scranton has always been uh, artistically and culturally vibrant because of people such as yourself. You know, we, we, Mm. you know, Mm. and I, I appreciate that so much. Thank you.
3: Yeah, there's a fun little lineage. And a little fun footnote is that when Footloose was on Broadway, it was directed by Scranton native Walter Bobby. Wow. So there's a fun little... Little, little bit of history there.
1: That's fantastic! Oh, you can always connect things back to this area. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's amazing. Well, we'll see you yes, out. Yes, yes, We'll see you out and about. Uh, I look forward to it. And again, thank you for taking some time out. I know you're just getting done with rehearsals thanks tonight. For,
3: thanks for listening
1: to me. <laughs> oh, it was a pleasure. See you soon.
3: Thank you very much, EW.
2: Have a good night. You too. Bye bye. Come <laughs> on.
0: Gypsy. There are no small parts, they say, and they're right, whoever they are. Given just a few lines, a skillful actor can make the smallest part memorable, revelatory, and integral to the production. Of course, a less skillful actor might strike a discordant note and be quickly and mercifully forgotten as the play moves on. I've had my share of small parts, Professor Willard in Our Town, Enoch Snow Jr. in Carousel, Yussel in Fiddler on the Roof. But one of my favorites was The Gypsy in a college production of Arthur Miller's Incident at Vichy. It's one of his lesser-known works. Originally produced in 1964, it's a talky but somehow swiftly moving play about a group of representative men rounded up by the Nazis in Vichy, France, in 1942. There are a businessman, an actor, a painter, an electrician, a doctor, a waiter, an orthodox Jew, old Jew in the script, a nobleman, a young boy, and a gypsy. It soon becomes apparent why they were detained, and as they file one by one into an office for questioning, the play becomes a mystery who lacks proper papers, who is revealed to be a Jew and sent to his death, who is freed, who tries to escape, and a debate about individual morality, about society, and about history. It's an Arthur Miller play, so most of the characters get a say, and they're all conflicted and implicated. It's fairly weighty, as you can imagine, and there aren't many laughs. With the wrong cast, and misguided direction, it can be a long, if thought-provoking, night at the theater. We had, I think, the right cast, and a spirited director who would stroke his long beard as he discussed with the actors how best to dramatize the debates. Frankie, always ready with the shtick, played the actor. Ronald, a funny fuss-budget, played the high-strung businessman. Wally, a strange guy who fancied Star Trek shirts, played the old Jew, Perry, philosophical and literary, played the doctor, and Donnie, thin, fey, aristocratic, played the nobleman, an Austrian prince. I didn't have much to do as the gypsy. The character is more of an object of derision and suspicion than an active character. I did my best with my broken English lines. At one point, the director decided to give me some stage business, and he handed me a harmonica to play. My efforts sounded more tuneless cowboy than mournful Romany. At the college, before my turn as the gypsy, I played in a Roman comedy by Plautus in a toga, and Sebastian, one of the twins in Twelfth Night, Ronald, the businessman in Vichy, was a wonderfully over-the-top Malvolio. My academic training included an intro class with the venerated head of the theater department, a gentle, somewhat befuddled man in the waning days of his career who, in class, read to us in a feverish tone a play about a randy teen named Alice May. The classes were augmented now and then, by informal sessions with older students who graduated or who left without graduating, including one raspy-voiced Bohemian who was studying with a legendary acting teacher in New York City, and Donnie, who played the prince. Donnie was a talented actor who was something of a campus theatrical luminary. I'm not sure why he was still in town, as opposed to moving to New York to begin his career but after we met, he became an unofficial mentor. Donnie would critique my performance, such as it was, as well as the performances of our fellow cast members. He would fill me in on gossip, new and old, the lifeblood of the theater. He would expand my theatrical education with his own very impressive knowledge. He was kind and concerned if perhaps a bit too friendly to his young acolyte. In addition to talking before and after rehearsal, we sometimes met at a coffee shop. Now and then he would show up at my dorm room, and if I wasn't around, my roommate, an intensely geeky pre-med major nicknamed Goofy, a moniker merited by his personality as well as his resemblance to the Disney character, would roll his eyes and tell me that the odd fellow stopped by again. Goofy and his equally intense and geeky pre-med pals didn't know what to make of the elegant Donnie and his quasi-buffant hairdo. I basked in his attention while being more or less clueless about the nature of his affection, or at least one aspect of it. He was never overt, And whatever fondness he had for me never broached the mentor-apprentice relationship. He was a wistful guy, and he seemed resigned to disappointment even at his young age. The play's run ended as they do, and the temporary family of cast and crew, so close for such a short time, disbanded, and we went on to the next play, or not. I left school in mid-semester and never saw Donnie again. My character, after being accused of stealing a pot in particular and of thievery in general, one of the many prejudices examined throughout the play, is taken away and presumably sent to his death, like most of the other characters in the play. The prince, after much self-probing and self-loathing, Acts nobly and selflessly sacrifices himself for another. Here is my favorite line Gypsy.
1: swaps loneliness for happiness in the guise of a lover and friend and who could comprehend the depth, the pain, the truth, or how vain. As the sun rises and sets, polar ice melts and alters our global axis rotation. She still hopes and holds dear the wisdom earned through her trials and tribulations.
2: All the good men gone And where are all The gods Yeah! Where's the streetwise Hercules to Fight the rising eye I'd like to know Isn't there a white knight Upon a fiery Steed Late at night I toss and I turn I toss and I turn a dream of what I need I need a hymn
1: To episode 276 of Troubadours and Rock on Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. I'd like to thank those folks who made this episode possible. First and foremost, this week's guest, Michael Flynn, theatrical, impresario, and artistic visionary. i also like to thank Uncle Cesare a.k.a. Dr. Michael Pavis, our associate producer. And these musical artists. Django Reinhardt, Stefan Grapelli, The Doors, Beck, The How to Succeed Orchestra, Guns and Roses, Jennifer Laura Thompson, Stacy Francis, Rosalind Brown, and Kathy Dietrich, as well as Terrence Blanchard, and Brantford Marsalis, too. Until next week, enjoy this one. Thanks for listening.